Can everybody hear me okay? Am I on? Yeah? Yeah? Okay, cool. Uh, it's such a privilege to be able to speak to all of you. I'm really uh, so thankful for this church and for the way that they instruct and raise us up. It's there's nothing better. There's nothing better, and it's all for the glory of God. So thank you, Pastor Tim, for everything you do and for the pastors here and the congregation. I really appreciate everything you guys do here. So um, as he said, my name is Derek Farnquist. Uh, I've been going to this church since a long time. I can't really remember. <laughs> um, and the one thing that I have not been able to master yet is PowerPoint. We're very spoiled with PowerPoint wizard pastors, and I'm not one of those. So my face is your slideshow. I hope you enjoy that. Um, and this, that was really cool. This, this whole, the whole thing that we just did of, of praying for each other really ties into this very well. So that was perfect timing. Um, I want to talk to you today about inconveniences versus assets. Uh, the society we live in is going through a lot of dark changes. There's so much separation and hatred being taught. People are just going absolutely crazy, and I truly believe that we have lost the, most, the, the idea of what the most essential piece of life is, aside from Jesus, and that's each other. So, what is the definition of an asset? An asset is a useful or valuable person, thing, or quality. Now, like I just said, we've... A lot of people, and I'm not saying specifically all of us, but a lot of people kind of have lost the idea of how important we are to each other. And we're, we're meant to be together. Life is meant to be done together. We weren't put on this planet to be alone. That's not why everybody else is here. We're here to be together. Um, helping each other out and spending quality time together has become quite an inconvenience nowadays uh, with our schedules you know, we have a lot of busy work schedules, technology is on the rise, and it's just not something that's in our, in our front view to, to be together. Um, a perfect example, and I'm throwing myself under the bus for this, is whenever my mom asks me to do chores and I'm playing video games, she gets the famous one minute, and I'll be down there the next hour. Um, if you're a parent, I'm sure you've heard that at some point in time. But what I'd like to, sh what I'd like to dive into is how God can redeem some people that seem to be so inconvenient to society, people that we ourselves may dub as inconveniences, God can turn those people around and make them the hugest assets of the faith. And it's backed up by quite a few people in the Bible. So if you could, oh, before that, I missed a point. Um, Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen says that iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. So once again, as I said, we were meant to do life together. We're meant to bring each other up, to build each other up, not make each other seem like they're inconvenient to us, but to prove to them that they're assets of, of, of us. This, this whole room is full of assets for you. If, you. if you really look around, take a look around for a second and look at everybody. These people are your assets, and it's just in this one room right now. We're meant to be together. If, if one person is struggling, everybody else is going to run to them. That's, that's what we're meant to do. But what we tend to do, or what society tends to do with everything that's going on in society is, well, it's a little bit out of my schedule to come help. Or it's a little inconvenient for me to do something for you when I'm so busy. And instead of sharpening each other, we dull each other out. How can a church, how can a body work well when we're not functioning correctly together? That's why we're all together as one body. Um, so if you could, we're going to start in Luke 19. 
And this is, it, it was so cool going through this because I really got uh, the opportunity to see how God really uses the least of people, who is dubbed the weakest people, and use them for some amazing things. And I'll give you a second to turn there. As I turn there myself. <laughs> All right. So we are at uh, chapter 19 in Luke, verse 1. And um, bear with me. I'm going to kind of do this, um, read a couple verse and then, you know, dissect it and then jump back. So just kind of bear with that. Um, but we'll start with verse 1. And it is, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Okay, so right off the bat, you learn about this man Zacchaeus. And the first thing, which is extremely important that's mentioned about him, is that he's a tax collector. Now, if you know anything back in uh, those times, tax collectors weren't exactly the most um, liked people. A lot of them were, were uh, sneaky. They would take more money than should have been taken from some of their, uh, some of the people that they collected, and they used it for their own gain. So right off the bat, you're going to know that this guy is not liked, if he's one of those people that stole. So we'll go to verse 3, and it says, He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not, because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Now, um, obviously, you learn that he's a short guy. And now, every single time that Jesus was around, I highly, highly doubt that the crowd that was following him was small. I doubt it. So you've got to picture this, this short guy, and all these people are just crowding Jesus, and he knows that Jesus is coming, and he wants to see him. He's got the drive to see who Jesus is, but he can't poke his head through because there's so many people around Jesus right now. So he climbs a tree, best idea, I would say, and he, he waits for Jesus. So we'll go to verse 5 now, and it says, When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Now this is what I love about Jesus, is he doesn't waste time. He just points right to the person he wants to talk to or to the situation he wants to speak to. And he goes right up to Zacchaeus and he points him out and he says, Hey, come down from that tree. i got to stay at your house tonight. Doesn't waste any time, just goes right to him. Now verse 7 is where things get a little bit uh, issued. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Now, that verse hit me really hard. Uh, it was more of a convicting thing. Because you know that this crowd is big. And you know that everybody is probably muttering under the breath. And Zacchaeus is standing right there. So he hears everything they're saying. They're all bickering because he's getting a blessing from Jesus. And that hit me so hard because I did that when I was younger. And sometimes I still find myself doing it. When I see someone who's jumping up and down, praising the Lord, shouting out his name. And I'm like, why, are, why isn't he touching me like that? Why, why am I not getting the blessing? That's not fair. But how do you know that that blessing that that person is getting isn't going to rub off onto you? And in a way, that's turning, it's, you're not saying anything, but it's making you inconvenient to that person because they're trying to get blessed and they're getting this blessing and you're ruining yours by standing there being jealous of them. And I did that when I was in youth group. I'll never forget this story. 
or this, this issue, this, this time, um, just like I said, there was this young man who I was, well, I shouldn't say young man, I'm kind of young still too, so. Um, there was a fellow student of mine who was jumping and just shouting and praising and he was crying and he was down on his knees and I was like, why, why is that not for me? And my parents had just recently split up, so I was going through a really tough time with that. And I didn't even realize until this time that I was not only inconveniencing myself by not getting that blessing, but inconveniencing him in the spirit realm by taking, by being jealous of his blessing. We can't do that. God has a purpose and a blessing for each one of us. We just have to be patient. So, back on to uh, the chapter, verse 8. It says, But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And, I have che- and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. I want to be this guy's friend. <laughs> Seriously, that's a, lot of, that's a lot of stuff. Now, what I want to... Oh, it's coming off. What I want to point out is he doesn't say just money. He says possessions. That could mean his alabaster jars, the perfume that he carries, because that was expensive back in those times. It, it, it's just his possessions. And then on top of that, on top of that, he says, I'm going to pay back four times the amount of what I stole. So right there, he admits that he was one of those tax collectors that had cheated people and made his own wealth from the stuff or helped his wealth from the things that he's stolen. And now he's returning it. I would call that an asset rather than an inconvenience because I'm sure that in that, those people were going, why is he staying with the house of the sinners? So, oh, can I be your best friend, please? Because I want all this stuff. Like, that would be great. And it says right at, in verse 9, it says, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this home or house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. I love that. I love that. Because he, he points out, he just says, Salvation has come to your home. It's in your home, and it has come to save the lost. And we were, or still are, maybe, the lost, that lost. We're the people that Jesus came down for, that he was born for, that he died for. When we weren't deserving, when we were inconvenient, he died for us. There's nothing better than that. Jesus doesn't see anyone as an inconvenience. Nobody. I love that. I really do. Okay. So, from here, uh, pardon me, I do have a a little bit of scripture, so there will be a little flipping back and forth. But if you could turn to Matthew, please, chapter 4. And we're going to start in 18. Everybody good? All right. So where we're at from Zacchaeus is we're now looking at the disciples. And so in verse 18, and we shall start. It says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishes of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, 
he saw two other brothers, James, John, or James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing the nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, just like tax collectors, I'm willing to bet that fishermen weren't exactly the most prestigious people back in those times either. Probably because it was, it might not have been the best paying job. They stunk. Their house probably stunk. And they, I'm thinking about it, they probably were really scraggly, had a bunch of, you know, body hair, beards. Not the most prestigious people. But yet Jesus calls them. People who were seen as inconvenient to society, possibly, calls them to be disciples. And it's the same thing for Matthew. If we could go to chapter 9, and it's going to be in verse 9. One page over. It says, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. That's why, literally right there, is a good example of why he called these men. He says it right there. He came to call the sinners. And Matthew was a tax collector, just like Zacchaeus. Uh, it, it, doesn't really it doesn't necessarily say that he was one of the sneakier ones, but... I mean, you could be safe to say and assume that tax collectors were all sneaky. Um, but he says something that really strikes me, and it says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. That is the church. The church is not a clubhouse for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. That's why we all come together, because we're all stuck in this world, in this body of sin, and we come together to be together, to encourage each other in the faith, and meet with Jesus, who turns our filth into beauty. That is a wonderful thing that I feel like we take for granted. I really do. Um, I feel that some people have become comfortable with the cross. We don't really take that huge blessing, the biggest asset, because like I said, assets are not just people, they're things, they can be events. The biggest asset of our entire lives not a lot of us really understand the depth or at least pay attention again to the depth of the cross. So if I could, I encourage you to really sit on that. Really uh, delve into what the cross was for you and what it did for you. But back on track. Um, so once again, fishermen, tax collectors, these guys definitely did not look like the modern heroes that we see them as today or we see today. Because the disciples, in 100% truth, are our heroes. You know, we, they were the men who walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, and slept with them. And those are the men that we can look up to aside from Jesus because they did their best to be as close to God as they could, to be just like Jesus. Those are our heroes. Today we see heroes as, you know, Superman, the nice suave hair, the underwear on the side of the pants, the capes, and all that kind of stuff. But that's not what it is. These men were some of the biggest assets to our faith. 
And we have the opportunity to open up this 66 book love letter and read their stories anytime we want. There's your other asset. The cross is an asset. Your people are your asset. Your Bible is your asset. How often do we use these? Do we use these to the right amount of time that we need? And I'll be honest with you, I don't read my Bible as much as I should. And I feel bad for that. I really do. Sometimes it sits and collects dust when I'm always asking, God, where are you? Why don't I have a blessing? Well, do you read the asset that I gave you? Good, good point. No. So, so these men, once again, were viewed or possibly viewed as inconveniences to a lot of the people, but Jesus made them his main assets. We are also Jesus' main assets. He's taken the sinners that we, have, that we were, and we still are, we still make mistakes, but he's taken us and made them into his assets, just like he did, made us into his assets, just like he did for the disciples. And we can look back and try to emulate their actions as well as Jesus' actions. All right, one more, one more turn that I have you guys uh, to do, and that is to Acts. And we're going to go to chapter 9. This is probably my, this is my favorite guy in the Bible, Paul. I love Paul. He did so many things. He was such a huge inconvenience in the beginning, but he turned into one of the world's biggest assets, one of the, the faith's biggest assets, and we have, there's so much to learn in him. Um, you know, I just went through, uh, a, couple, a couple months ago, I went through a uh, Bible study with Pastor Tim about Romans. And just reading the way that he talked to people, the way that he met with people, and how he was so respectful. He really showed the people that they weren't inconveniences to him, that he knew he could see the assets. He could see the people that they were, they were intended to be. And that's, that's an amazing thing. You know, sometimes, and I, I think we do it intentionally, uh, a lot, and this is shown on a lot of social media that... I mean, with all the, the election going on and the whole homosexual agenda going through, is even though we have the right intentions to share our faith, sometimes it may come off as offensive. Sometimes it may come off as a little pushy. And that's a really, that's a big thing that scares people away from the church. You know, I used to be one of those people that would go up and say, nope, you need Jesus, and I'd try to open their mouth and just shove it down their throat. And it never worked, and I was always wondering why these people didn't like me. Why was I so inconvenient to them? Why, when I walked by them, did they try to run away? And it was because I was coming off as a very cocky and spiteful person when I was trying to witness to them. And one of the things that you can see, and I'm, I know everybody that has a Facebook has seen this, how much hatred and how, much, uh, how, how many comments were made from Christians and non-Christians alike. And sometimes I really can't tell the difference. Are we making people feel like they're loved? Do we really show people that they are our assets, or are we trying to show them that they can be our assets? So social media and the, and, and the technology, rather than spending your time on it doing pointless things, you can use that stuff to show these people how much you love them and how much Jesus loves them and how much of an asset they can be, rather than how inconvenient their opinions are. It's all about opinion. It's all about opinion. It's all about how you feel. Everything, in this, every, everything that's been going on is ran by... Uh, well, I feel 
like this should be done, or I feel like they should have this, or I feel, I feel, I feel, and it's not about that. It's about what Jesus says. That's it. That's it. There, it doesn't matter what you feel. If Jesus is specific about one thing, that's how it goes. That's the law, and that's what we follow. But anyway, I sidetracked from Paul, so let's get back to Paul. <laughs> All right, so Acts 9, we're going to start in verse 1, and it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Well, first verse, you can really see just who he is, can't you? He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues, or, yeah, letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there, any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. Now, it's, it's interesting because he says, who are you, Lord? Right off the bat. And I wonder, did he recognize who Jesus was when he, when he came through? Did he recognize immediately that, that, he, that Jesus was Lord? I'm just curious about that point. It says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must, oh, sorry, I just choked, <laughs> what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street, and asked for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking, after taking, some, taking some food, he regained his strength. Now, when it comes to Bible stories, I like to put it in a, like a modern-day perspective. So I can just picture Ananias' reaction when God tells him to go see this guy. Because like I said, you know, this guy was, right from the bat, he was one of the biggest inconveniences to the faith. Because he was literally killing the members of the faith. I mean, it's, it's flat. He was killing Christians. And these weren't just, you know, small killings. Like, he really made a mockery of these people, and he did it publicly. So... It was a huge thing, and I can just picture Ananias sitting there thinking, you want me, a Christian, to go talk to a guy who's been killing Christians? I think you might have the wrong guy. I don't, I don't, think, I don't think that's going to work for me. And he says, go. Just flat out go. Go and talk to this man, for I am going to use him as one of the biggest 
assets to the faith, to my name. And I'm going to show him just how much he's going to suffer for me. We all suffer for Jesus. In some way, shape, or form, we all suffer for the Lord. And I'm okay with that, because he suffered for me. And what's even better is we don't have to suffer the stuff that he did. And we sit there and we complain about the inconvenient situations that go on in our life. And in no way am I saying you don't have a right to mourn the death of a loved one, or you don't have the right to be sad when, when something rough happens in your life. In no way am I saying that. But when you really think about the whole perspective about what Jesus paid for us, how inconvenient do those situations really seem to you? You can really change the, the way that things go in, in, in your life by perspective. Just remember, Jesus told Paul, right, he told Ananias right here, Paul's going to suffer for me. This guy did all this stuff and created suffering for, the, for, for my children, and he's going to suffer for my name just the way that they did. That could be death, that could be sickness, that could be anything. He doesn't say specifically, but he's going to suffer. And we should be okay with that because Jesus suffered for us. So, Paul is an amazing example of how a sinner, an inconvenient person, can be transformed. I really believe that an inconvenience to an asset deals with a transformation. Because sometimes we can feel like we're inconvenient to other people. Sometimes we are inconvenient to other people. You know, you're a person and you don't see your own faults until someone points it out to you. It's just how it goes. And that's where the transformation begins. You can transform from a person who is causing issues for other people into an asset. And I'm a walking testimony of that. I, I, when I was in high school, uh, my ninth and 10th grade year, I was not a good kid. I was not. I ditched all my friends. I barely spent any time with any of my family. All I wanted to do was hang out with my girlfriend. Thank God that relationship is over. And, <laughs> and there was just so much stuff that I was doing wrong. And, and I didn't see it that way because I was like, well, it's just how I am. This is how, this is how I was made. This is how I'm meant to be. And it took what I like to say, a punch in the face from God to really wake me up and say, look at, look, at all of the, look at all the stuff that you're causing. Look at all the problems. I have more for you. You're not meant to inconvenience others. I have more for you. I have a bigger and greater plan for you. And that's exactly what he did for Paul. I have a greater plan for this man. A huge plan. And sometimes, sometimes, or, well, a lot of the time, Maybe you feel yourself as an inconvenience to God himself. Maybe you're sitting here right now and you're like, man, I sin too much. I can't do this. God doesn't really love me. He doesn't want to use me. I've just been sitting in my living room eating potato chips all day. He's not going to use some guy like me or some lady like me. But look at these guys. Look at the example. He picked the lowest people to be the most prestigious men of the Christian faith, the people that we look up to our heroes. It's amazing. It's amazing. And he can do that for you. Your sin, your sin, and the issues that you feel when, when the enemy comes at you and you're feeling attacked, that stuff does not separate you from God. That does not make you any less of a follower, a, a child that he can use. I had a friend of mine who was just going through a really a huge life-changing moment. And uh, I was coming home from work 
and I had just prayed. I was like, God, use me today. Use me today. Let me, let me, let me do your will. Let me do something. Give me something. Be careful when you ask that, because you can't really, you don't, you don't have a time frame of when those things are going to come at you. Um, but anyway, my buddy called, and he was like, Derek, he's like, look, man, the enemy's going at me. I feel like a failure. I, I feel like I'm being torn in two. I feel like an inconvenience. And I was like, no way. You feel like an inconvenience. Well, you know what? I have the perfect word for you because this sermon was done. So it was like, it was awesome. But we were able to, you know, I prayed for him. And, and uh, during mid-prayer, my, the, his phone cut out. And I said the rest of the prayer without him there. So he called back. He's like, hey, I missed that. And I was like, okay. So I re-prayed, to that, re-prayed the whole prayer again. And th- this is an example of what I said in the very beginning. You look around you and you see everybody. They're your assets. They're your teammates. We're a team. We're a body. We build each other up. We play on each other's strengths. And we build each other up when we're weak. That's the term. That's, that's the whole purpose of being an asset. So I ask you, do you feel like an inconvenience to God right now? Do you feel like your sin or the situations that you're going through make you an inconvenience to the Lord? Or do you feel that way? Because that's a lie. That's such a lie. Don't believe that. You know, when we, when we mess up and we sin, we, take, we do this thing, or at least I do sometimes, where I'm like, okay, I need to take a week away because I can't talk to you because you're going to smush me if I do. And it's not true. When you make a mistake, right away, repent. He's already got the forgiveness for you. You're not an inconvenient to him. He loves you. He delights in you. It says in Psalm 147, 11, it says, The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. And he told the disciples, he said, I can work with a mustard seed of faith. And right here, he says, I delight in those who put their faith in my love. It doesn't matter how much faith you think you have or how much you need to grow in your faith. You have a little mustard seed that you put in his undying and unfailing love. He delights in you. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you have going on. It doesn't matter if you're addicted to pornography, if you're doing something wrong in your marriage, if you're not doing something right raising your children. He delights in you and he can turn that around and make that a huge blessing. And I want to pray for you, I want to pray for all of you, that this will become apparent in all of our lives. That we'll understand that when we make mistakes, or when we understand when we're doing something wrong, that we are a huge asset to the Lord, just like these guys were. They were just people. They were just people. As, as uh, my family says, um, they go to the bathroom just the same as we do. So that's always something humorous that my family tells me when I get all nervous and freaked out. But once again, they were just people, just like us. And if God used these ordinary, low, low people, fishermen, tax collectors, he can use us. He can use us. He can use us in our, in our workplaces. Pastor Ron said something one time that our workplaces can be our microchurches. He can use you there. But are you available there? Do you make yourself available there? Do you want to be available? Do you want to be used? Do you want to be an asset to Christ? Because it's not easy. It's not easy. And I, and I know, I know I'm, I'm only 24, and I'm telling a lot of the people that have taught me and raised me, which is so surreal, but it's not easy. It's not. But we can do it together. So I just want to pray that we can be united as a team, as assets, 
that we can build each other up, that we can really stop focusing on our inner problems and be outward focused to the people that need us the most. Because it's not about what this church can do for you. It's about what you can do for the kingdom of God and this church. We're not here to save our skin. We're here to spend it for his glory and his glory alone. And I'll tell you what, I said this the last time and I'll say this again, which this, once again, it's just a privilege to be able to be up in front of you guys, but the one thing that always keeps me going is if you try to be a representation of Christ in your own power, on your own, you are going to be a miserable replica. But if you let God take over and do his work through you, it all works because it's him who is imitating himself. And God is really, really good at being God. So, so if, you, if you could, just you know, stand together and uh, you know, you know, if, if, if you know someone who's going through an issue or you need prayer, lay hands on each other. We're a family here. We're a family. We're a team. So lay hands and let's just let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this wonderful night, God, for this church, for the ability to come to you freely without persecution. God, we thank you for the gifts and the blessings that you pour out on us daily, for grace that we didn't have to earn and a life that we do not deserve. God, help us remember that we are your chosen people, that we are your assets that you want to use to reach the lost, that we can be a Paul, that we can be the disciples, that we can be Zacchaeus, that we have the drive to see your face. Lord Jesus, bless this church, bless this body, bless us, and thank you once again for giving us the will and the right to speak your name and your word. In your precious and holy name, amen.